Greetings to our global neighbors and all the ships at sea. From coast to coast, border to border, this is Message Traffic from Washington, D.C., presented by the New York Center for Foreign Policy Affairs. Hello, this is Valentina Doran, a policy fellow at NYCFPA. Welcome back to Message Traffic. This week, we will be doing a two-part series based on our webinar, which was held this past Friday, focusing on the roots of the crisis in Russia. This series is based on our most recent report, U.S.-Russia Relations, The Long Road Between Two Genevas. For the first part of our series, our speakers will be focusing on the question, how did we get here? Here's our episode. Hello, everyone. My name is Katya Moore. I'm New York Center for Foreign Policy Affairs Senior Policy Fellow and a leading author of the recent uh, center's report, uh, A Long Road Between Two Genevas on uh, U.S.-Russia Relations. So first of all, I would like to thank my... Wow! <laughs> cool. Mm, great report. Uh, we appreciate it. It's so cool. Thank you. And uh, uh, today uh, with me here, um, Valentina Doran also, she's here, and I would like to thank her for her tremendous contribution. Uh, and our report shows that um, the roots of the crisis between our two nations are not, not you know, nowadays issue. And um, as we know, it has a long history. And what is our dis discussion today is um, dedicated is to find um, to find uh, to find the solution in the past, to understand the past, to avoid severe conse uh, consequences in the future. So, and let me start from here and uh, introduce you to our distinguished speakers. Edward Lazansky, president of the American University in Moscow and Russian house consulting firm in Washington, D.C. Mr. Lazansky is a professor at the National Research Nuclear University in Moscow, author of 14 books, political commentator for leading Russian and American media. His opinion on the U.S.-Russia relations is often published by Washington Times. Despite his dissident's background in Soviet era, he now advocates for a more pro-Russian approach and sees the roots of the crisis in the two nations' misunderstanding, and in particular, unwillingness of the U.S. to recognize security concerns of Russian Federation. So, Edward, thank you for being here. My pleasure. The only thing is that I would like correct uh, that uh, you mentioned pro-Russian. Uh, I actually am trying to say it pro-U.S. Russia. <laughs> okay, great. Good point. <laughs> because okay. um, I believe that um, it's, uh, I agree with uh, Trump, that uh, good relations with Russia is good for America. And this is my position since 1991, when um, uh, Soviet Union collapsed and, you know, was a new era, uh, and this was a new era when Russia becomes part of the West. Um, I just want to ask, you, you want me to say something or just was introduction? No, 
it's just the introduction okay, and sorry. Uh, <laughs> let's to move on and we will discuss this issue okay don't worry about that so our next guest and our good friend is dakota wood the heritage foundation senior research fellow mr dakota served america for two decades in the u.s marine corps he is highly recognized and his uh, expertise is influential. Many uh, world leaders all over the world uh, listen to Dakota's expertise. And we are very happy to have you here, Dakota. And let's move on uh, to Bill Borum. Bill Borum is an international conference speaker and commentator. He is a chairman emeritus of Sister Cities International. He was member of the fi uh, Finance Committee. Uh, previously serving on uh, the Sister Cities Board of Directors as Chairman and Treasurer and as a member of the Investment Committee. So currently he is Sister Cities representative for Russia, having visited uh, there several times and uh, currently he is studying the development of civil society in the country. Bill, welcome. Happy Thank to you. have you here. And finally, Justin, um, our uh, principal director. Uh, Justin has over 30 years of experience in government service, government relations, and international affairs, covering wide range of issues. For instance, his project Backroom Politics is recognized platform for opinion exchange among politicians and operative. So Justin, welcome and I'm I'm proud to to welcome you <laughs> to this conversation because uh, previously you actually moderated all the sessions. Now <laughs> <laughs> now <It's> good, to, <laughs> good, good, good to be here. It's so guys okay you wanted to say something? No go ahead Okay, great. Thank you very much. Again, I would like to thank everyone being here and let me start our discussion. And my first question is very simple. How did we get here? So after Gorbachev and Reagan shook hands, perestroika, we're witnessing Russia posturing over 120,000 troops um, by the Ukrainian border. And um, I also would like to um, to know uh, what is the difference now? So we witnessed actually the same in 2008, in 2014, uh, we know about Crimea annexation, uh, severe sanctions against Russia, but why now we are talking about potential World War III conflict and is it any is there any chance that we will witness a direct confrontation between the NATO and Russia? Dakota, let me start with you. What is your opinion? Wow, I was hoping <laughs> to hear from Edward and Bill first. <laughs> <laughs> so th these things evolve over time, right? That I think that um, they're a result of distractions uh, in, in some uh, uh, time periods. For example, the United States could not have not responded to 9-11, right? You know, the terror attacks. And uh, it would have just been political suicide for George W. Bush to say, no, we've got bigger issues 
you know, than a terrorist attack on a couple of spots. And we want to maintain our focus on China and Russia and those sorts of things. I mean, it was just an untenable position. So then you get drawn into these these other conflicts, you know, in Afghanistan, and there was an opportunity to move against her, Saddam Hussein and, and those sorts of things. And so it really, you know, an administration, especially when big military things are occurring, uh, it takes a lot of time and attention to do that, right? So that's just an example of, of an event that occurs that wasn't planned, but a country focuses on that. And it, and it takes up a, a huge amount of political attention, political capital and will, and you just get invested in that. Well, that means that other parts of the world, you know, are also evolving, right? You know, Germany and the United Kingdom and France are doing their things. Russia is doing, you know, what it's doing. Uh, the, the decade of the 90s, I call the happy decade, right? Where there were no major competitors from the United States perspective. You know, China was not a global economic superpower. Russia was still trying to find its way out of the collapse of the Soviet Union. And so the United States was very inward looking. You know, we slashed our military, we gutted our intelligence community. Uh, and so that led then to 9-11 and the inability to do lots of other things. And we were focused on counterterrorism and operations and those sorts of things, right? Well, from 2000 onward, China finds its economic feet, right? It adopts a weird form of capitalism controlled by the central party, uh, and it becomes an economic powerhouse because everybody wants to seek efficiencies and lower priced goods. And you know they just don't have the inherent taxes uh, for environmental regulations and health and safety inspections and all those sorts of things. So they become uh, you know, the shopping mall uh, for the global community, right? Well, post rise of Vladimir Putin, Russia is also finding its feet, right? It professionalizes its military because of environmental and energy policies in Europe. Europe becomes increasingly dependent on Russian natural gas and energy sources. Yeah, so there, these things just evolve. Nobody plans for them to happen. And then there's a moment of opportunity where somebody like Putin or Xi Jinping or the Ayatollahs in, in Iran sense um, a confluence of technology and influence in their sphere, distractions by their competitors, and they make a big move. And, and where other countries aren't um, attentive or aware or ready uh, to meet that move, usually there's a kind of a deflection, you know, that, well, it can't be that bad. And so we're really not going to address it aggressively because we wouldn't want to add to friction and create a problem that does not yet exist. And so the bully or the bigger, more aggressive and confident power gains, you know, positional advantage. China building and militarizing islands in the South China Sea, you know, Russia propping up Bashar al-Assad in Syria, right? Making incursions into Georgia, as you had mentioned, you know, in 2008, there was no pushback to that. So it incentivizes these sorts of behaviors. So I think the reason we are where we are at today is the result of a thousand different factors and capitals and political parties in the United States and economic conditions. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very long-winded answer to saying uh, this wasn't predetermined, but these things evolved to where they're at. So the challenge today is, well, what do we do about the current situation, you know, the current conditions? And, and now we look at the landscape, and we'll get into this, I know, as we get into the discussion about what is Germany's willingness you know, to stand strong when it's 50% dependent on energy from Russia, 
You know, what is the willingness of Great Britain to do something when all six of its destroyers are stuck in port undergoing engine repair, right? I mean, so it's, it's you know, it's a 30-year problem that's evolved where people just don't have the wherewithal to deal with a regional bully. You know, if we, if we view Russia in that sense, you know, making these very aggressive incursions into spaces. So I'll kind of stop there. I know I've been all over the place. It's, uh, a, it's okay. Um, yeah, but I'm waiting okay. for Edward and Bill to correct me and tell me where I'm I'm uh, I'm off base on this. Yeah, Edward, what do you think about it? Um, well, um, let's usually for Russians, uh, there are two questions always: who to blame, and what to do. So uh, <laughs> I will try to be very short on who to blame, because I already sent you my op-ed, <laughs> Washington. So more or less you understand my position, but very briefly I will mention uh, about who to blame and we'll try then to spend more time on, on what to do because this is the most important thing. Uh, we are really uh, facing, who would imagine that we will be talking about World War III uh, with nuclear weapons, which means that it's the end of civilization. Uh, this is not what we were thinking in 1991. I was actually in Moscow in 1991 uh, and I brought with me about like uh, 400 top American businessmen who were ready to, uh, you know, Soviet Union was collapsing. And actually, we were witnessing Gorbachev's speech on December 25, 91. And we were witnessing how a Soviet flag comes down. And for me, it was... Uh, you know, great moment because I didn't like Soviet Union at all. And you know, you know, if you if I might know my background, I was expelled from, from the Soviet Union, and I'm grateful to America that uh, gave me like a refuge, and, and I, you know, moved to uh, United States, get a great job. I'm nuclear physicist by training. My first job was laser fusion uh, at University of Rochester, and then I moved to Washington, and I was professor at uh, AU. So. Um, so we were all um, you know, really anticipating a new era, new era, and uh, uh, when Soviet flag came down and Russian flag came up, uh, you know, we celebrated New Year's Eve, and with me, it was in the Kremlin. We celebrated in the Kremlin, and next to me was U.S. ambassador. We were sitting, <laughs> Jim Collins, you know, we were celebrating a uh, new era, uh, and, uh, you know, my wife and I and uh, Jim Collins was his. <laughs> we were together at the head table uh, in the Kremlin. This is was uh, amazing. Can you imagine? And uh, as I said, about 400 American businessmen who came to do business in in Russia. Some of them still still do. Anyway, uh, now uh, and uh, after this um, meeting, and then there were several other meetings. The guy who um, knew what to do. Uh, was Paul Weirich. Paul Weirich, um, uh, I don't know if uh, some of, I'm pretty sure that he was the founder of Heritage Foundation. You know, did you know that? He was the founder. He later down there was some political uh, kind of uh, juggling and he started his um, parallel Free Congress Foundation. But Paul Weirich, he, he was the guru of neoconservative and, uh, you know, a lot of future members of um, uh, Congress and the uh, Senate and House, uh, and actually Dan Quayle was one of his 
you know, <laughs> interns. So, uh, so Paul Weirich had direct access to George Bush. And um, after some of those meetings, he got very enthusiastic and we prepared the report, how we can integrate Russia in the West. It was a detailed report, including opinions from businessmen, political leaders, members of House and uh, Senate, uh, he, because Paul knew everyone. And he delivered this uh, report mm, to George Bush. Somewhere in the White House, I'm pretty sure Bush, George Bush Library might have it, or uh, Freedom of Information, you, we, we can get it. Uh, and it was detailed plan how we integrate Russia. By the way, including uh, Russia's membership into NATO. Uh, well, it uh, didn't work out. Uh, didn't work out because uh, Bush, who was supposed to push this idea, he lost elections. Uh, and then new team came in, and this new team, um, they, their position was that who cares about Russia? Russia is now down, uh, so they will have to do what we tell them to do. This was Strobe Talbot, uh, who he was in charge of, kind of Russian policy, and uh, Clinton. Uh, I don't know, he was not probably too much experience in foreign policy. Uh, he was busy with other things, as we know. <laughs> so uh, Clinton listened to Strop and maybe some other people from what we call the military industrial complex and uh, people who are not really interested in uh, having Russia as, as a friend and the famous uh, uh, George Cannon. This is what he said, that, uh, that uh, this complex needs enemies. Uh, if Russia is a friend, uh, then uh, no, just uh, why do we have to spend so much money on this uh, military budget? We should probably concentrate on our internal uh, you know, infrastructure and social problems and education, healthcare, etc. Um, so Clinton um, did many horrible things, uh, but the most horrible from in what we are now <clears throat> seeing. Uh, it's a NATO expansion. And uh, there's a um, letter in 97 and it's signed by 50 people. None of them uh, are like a leftist, or Putin's, whatever, Stooges, whatever. They're all Republican, most of them conservatives. I knew personally many of them. And they signed a letter saying that we shouldn't do that. We should not uh, expand NATO. Uh, Clinton didn't listen, and um, whether it's lobbyists from military industrial complex or somewhere else, uh, NATO started this, uh, you know, I call it Dragon Austin, uh, and now <clears throat> it was like 16 members contained powerful Soviet Union, 16. So why do we need 30 to contain much weaker Russia with the economy, which few percent of American economy and all that? Uh, Edward, sorry, I'm, I'm, I hate to do that, but uh, again, why, uh, why are we here and is there any chance for, for a conflict, you know, direct conflict between NATO and Russia? Or it's just a, you know, political game, what do you think? Because, you know, uh, in Russia, for right now, maybe you heard the joke, if you want to say no, you can say, let's do it after invasion. Nobody actually believes that it's going to happen. Well, so, do you well, think is there any chance that we the, the, there is going course, to be confrontation? The chances are, of course, not by design, by by what you call the accident. 
and read today's New York Times. Today, the New York Times, not my favorite paper. By the way, it was, they liked me again I, in the old days. Uh, I was even one time on the front page of New York Times. But now what they're saying, the, the headline that <clears throat> um, they, they didn't use the word neo-Nazis, they called radicals. Radicals, Ukrainian radicals might be a big problem and not just for Russia, but for us. So what can happen uh, is that um, if they move on Donbass, and then now we're talking, everyone's talking about 100,000 Russian troops, um, which are on the Ukrainian border, but no one is talking about 125, or now even more of those Nazi, neo-Nazi battalions, they are now moved, and they're equipped in some of those uh, those arms, which are now every day, five, six planes, American planes, bring tons of military equipment, including lethal equipment. So and you think you think that it's it may may happen, right? It may happen. It may happen. Okay. If they move on Donbass, the Russians will have no choice to respond. And with uh, thousands of Americans can get in the crossfire, this would be a horrible thing. And no, uh, well, now. Um, right. Maybe we, I don't want to take all the time on this, but I am very pessimistic. Usually I try to be optimist, but now I'm very optimist, uh, pessimistic. Okay, but, Justin, what do you think about this? Is there any chance for potential conflict? How do you I mean, look, going back to the question of how we got here, I mean, there are so many different dynamics that are in play when we talk about how we got here, but let's call it what it is um for many years we have seen the china economic power grow in its influence globally we have seen the u.s continue to be the largest economic dominant power and continues to be the large economic superpower if you will this has kind of put russia in a uh in a third chair spot using an orchestra vernacular they've kind of become the first place team in AAA in the global mindset of this. This bugs Putin, this bugs the Russia hierarchy in the Kremlin. And quite frankly, they now look at saying, hey, you know, we are still a big player in this. You know, using their energy resources, they get to look at Europe and say, hey, you guys need our energy source, whether it's the natural gas, we look at the importance, depending on how you look at it, of Nord, of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Uh, you know, you can't just rely on that nice little patch of water in the North Sea. You need us, and we demand respect. This is a power play, in my opinion. All indications are that this is uh, a very overtly aggressive form of rattling you know when we hear that we wanted russia to you know we wanted russia and embrace russia as kind of a western type ally uh in in my opinion in my experience in my experience we've given them that opportunity it looked like we were going uh it looked like we were going that way or could possibly go that way further after the fall of the soviet union uh, you know, we had hoped that Boris Yeltsin would kind of bring a closer dynamic relationship between Moscow and Russia. The second we started seeing the thrust forward of 
the powerful oligarchs in Russia. Once we started seeing the powerful maneuvering of uh, of Putin in his tenure as whether he was president or in the shadows or back in as president, still a very dominant figure. This is nothing more. And as a result, we are now on the brink of what could be the closest thing to a true conventional war front than we've seen in any decade. And that's a dangerous thing. Thank you very much, Bill. And what is your opinion? Is there any potential um, potential conflict there? And how did we get here? Well, I think uh, I very much agree with what Dakota said, uh, that there was the possibility, and also Edward alluded to this, of a uh, accident occurring here. Uh, you know, there's so much going on. But uh, let me return, and I'll come back to that thought. But let me return to the basic question, how did we get here? Uh, interestingly, it was exactly 32 years ago this week that uh, German uni reunification was under discussion, and there was a meeting in uh, St. Catherine's uh, Hall in the Kremlin uh, between uh, 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 our Secretary of State, you know, at the time, uh, Jim Baker, and uh, and uh, Gorbachev and Edward uh, Shevardnadze, and uh, the whole issue was: uh, could Germany be reunified? And what was the position of NATO? And of course, it's a very famous quote, a very short quote that um, NATO was not to move, or was it the Russians heard, and it was said by Baker: one inch eastward, one inch eastward was the promise and it turned out amongst the various um, negotiations that this was never really put into a political document as such but that was the understanding and that's been i think that was the root of exactly where we are today despite all of the events that have gone on despite the personalities involved the distractions for various countries the attempts made what have you but we're still talking about uh, Russian security, which is embodied from their point of view, and I think correctly so, with the movement of NATO. Uh, look what's happened. Uh, again, there was that debate in the U.S., which uh, the expansionist voices won out. But nonetheless, we've got 30 countries and two or three aspirants, I think you might say, waiting to join NATO, which would include uh, Ukraine, an aspirant to join NATO. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, what's the point of, of this? I mean, you're pressuring Russia. Um, and, and I think what triggered what the, where we actually are, apart from this issue of uh, NATO expansion, is U.S. weakness, both from the standpoint of what was demonstrated in Afghanistan, the internal division in the United States, a Congress and a, and a governance which is completely paralyzed. We can't get anything done on important uh, national initiatives. And then also to become, uh, well, I wouldn't say political, but uh, a question about the uh, capabilities of the President of the United States, uh, which uh, we all see on television constantly. So I think there's a uh, perception of U.S. weakness and was mentioned before, you know, when a country or a leader sees 
an opportunity. And this is an opportunity. The US is uh, confused, doesn't have good leadership. So the opportunity is being seized, but the core issue is still from Russia's standpoint, it's national security and the expansion of NATO, which we pushed right up to their borders. I mean, I, I, I understand I read somewhere that in uh, you know Estonia, a conventional cannon could hit St. Petersburg, not even an atomic cannon or even a missile. So um, anyway, I think um, the Russians uh, uh, still have this national security and NATO issue at the core. And I think it's uh, their opportunity because we are perceived as weak. Um, so interestingly, um, Michael McFall came out just today, a deadline um, this date with foreign affairs with a very extensive article about all of the developments that occurred in this period I'm referring to. So we might take a look at that and he remains mildly optimistic. But um, anyway, that's uh, my analysis anyway of uh, what the situation is. Uh, and I think it's, I'll add one thing from my perspective as an NGO, if you will, you know, I've come to know the Russian people with a number of trips over there, traveled across the country by train. And this is a wonderful country, wonderful people. Every single experience I've ever had in uh, 10, 11 or 12 um, conferences I've spoken at has always been great civility, courtesy. These are wonderful people, great capacity. And, uh, you know, they're being in effect victimized by their national leadership. Thank you very much. For more information on the subject you just heard about or any of our articles, reports, or events, log on to nycfpa.org. Also, please consider subscribing to Message Traffic on your favorite podcast service like Apple, Google, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio. You can also follow us on social media by searching for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For questions regarding the center, or just to let us know what you were thinking, you can email us at info at nycfpa.org. On behalf of the board and staff of the New York Center for Foreign Policy Affairs, thank you for listening.